chickens are very interesting. I have two. I have a red chicken and I have a white chicken. My red chicken lays white eggs and the white chicken lays brown eggs. I don't know what's wrong with them, but they are uh, very unique to pay attention to. A chicken will uh, sit there and, and wait for you to put food in its little pail or bowl or whatever you want to call it. And they always get their water dirty. And when you let them out of their coop, they walk around all day long with their head down. And, and I like to watch them because they, 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 they can't look like we look. Like if I'm looking at Johnny right now, that's how a human being looks. But a chicken looks at Johnny like this because their eyes on the side of their head. So they walk around the grass and they grab their foot and they're scratching like this and they'll move it out of the way and they got to be quick because the bugs are looking for it quick. So they move their, the, 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 the leaf or whatever it is out of the way and then that chicken turns its head and looks like that real fast. Has anybody ever had chickens? You know what I'm talking about. They go, they go after crickets, they go after lizards, a chicken will kill a snake, a chicken, it's just, a, it's a unique animal. They'll survive in almost uh, any condition, but they'll never make it out of status quo. A chicken feels most comfortable when it's surrounded by other chickens. A chicken feels most at ease when it's surrounded by people that, are, that it considers its equal or its peers. They are content being mediocre. They are content looking around at things and saying, you know what, this is my coop right here. It's starting to get dark outside. And they'll run. If you take a chicken and you, and you can take it a hundred yards from its coop where it sleeps at night. And when the sun starts going down, something on the inside of that thing goes off like an alarm clock and it will run like crazy to get into that coop. Another thing about chickens is at nighttime, they just seem to freeze up with fear. If you go into a chicken coop at night, you have to push them out of the way because something in their DNA tells them don't move when the sun goes down. When it gets dark, just hold tight. Chickens are very interesting, mediocre as they may be. The problem with a chicken when it comes to you and me, is God didn't make you or create you to be mediocre in any fashion of your life. He did not create you or make you to remain status quo. He didn't create you or make you to remain where you are, nor did he create you to decide I'm just the way I am and I'm not going to change. No, where you come from has nothing to do with where you're going. Chickens are very unique, but you were never called to be a chicken. In the Bible, uh, in, in the book of Genesis, towards the end of the book, there's a story of a man named Jacob. And Jacob is who God changed the name to Israel. So whenever we think of Israel, the nation over there, Jerusalem, which is the center of the universe, uh, when we think about that, we're actually saying Jacob when we say Israel. So Israel is one of the most prominent figures in all the Bible. And he had 12 sons. And those 12 sons, he loved each one of them. But there was one in particular that he really loved, whose name was Joseph. Joseph, he loved. And the Bible says that he got Joseph a special coat of many colors. One thing right there, when you are called by God, you are called to stand out from among the pack. Joseph stood out from his brothers because his daddy had given him a special coat, a special anointing. When you say yes to Jesus Christ, he didn't call you to blend in for the rest of your life. He called you to stand out so that the people who are starving and dying and are not on their way to heaven have an opportunity to look and say, there's somebody that's different. Let me see what the answer is. 
As we move into the things of God, it's imperative to understand and always remember that you're not called to be mediocre. Kids, young people, college students, don't you let anybody tell you that you're supposed to be the same. Uh, Young adults just getting married, don't you let anybody tell you that marriage is always going to be hard. There may be rocky times, but marriage is a blessing from God. Mediocrity is not God's will for your life. Mediocrity will never be God's will for your life. Mediocrity is the rut that Christians get stuck in. That if the devil can keep you in the rut of mediocrity, you get to the place where you are not nearly as effective as you ought be. Therefore, the people that you're called to reach may not hear the gospel. Mediocrity is not your goal. It's not your purpose. You will never pursue mediocrity. Mediocrity pursues you. You get into a place where everything just seems okay and you're trying to figure out why you're not comfortable with just okay. You're not comfortable with just okay because he promised you life and life more abundant. So what does life more abundant mean? It means I walk in the peace of God, the joy of God, the fulfilling uh, 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 rhema word of God, the the, the revelation of God. But what do you mean revelation of God? I mean, you're going to be able to pick up your Bible. You're going to read it and God will expose a truth to you that only he could do. And when you get it, it will feel like Jesus walked into your room and told you a secret, just you and him. That's revelation. You are not mediocre. You're not called to be mediocre. You're not called to be a chicken. Joseph, he was walking through his family's life, loving God, wearing his nice coat that his, his daddy had got for him. And the other interesting thing about old Joseph was he was a dreamer. Did you know the dreams on the inside of you? And some of us literally have dreams. Sometimes you have literal dreams at night and you know it's from the Lord. Others, it's a goal. It's an aspiration on the inside of you. And it's something that you want to be that God has put in you that you know the the, the benefits of are going to benefit other people. If you're a dreamer, don't stop dreaming just because people don't like your dreams. Joseph was a dreamer. He said, hey, guys, listen, I just had this dream. It was crazy. And, and I was the, we were all these uh, big old hay bales, if you will. And you guys, each one were a hay bale. And I was this hay bale standing real proud in the middle. And every one of y'all bowed down to me. Now, I don't know about you, but I have two brothers. And there's times in my life where if they'd have told me, hey, Brian, guess what? You're going to bow down to me. I probably wouldn't have been thrilled about it. So Joseph's brothers weren't happy about it. They said, what's wrong with you? Why would you think this? Why would you go on about this? And then he goes to his dad and said, hey, dad, guess what? I just had a dream and and, and you guys were the sun and the moon, you and mom, and y'all are going to bow down to me. And his dad's like, what is wrong with you, dreamer? Listen to me. Don't share your dreams with everybody. Jesus had lots of people that followed him around. Over 500 approximately saw him ascend into heaven. Then he said, go to Jerusalem and wait till you've been been endued with power. And only 120 were still in the room. You are going to have people in your life that are there for a reason. And you're going to have people in your life that are there for a season. If you hold on to people too long, they'll start rubbing off on you instead of you rubbing off on them. The Bible says that iron sharpens iron, meaning what you're around is what's going to aid you or pull you down. If you can get to the place where you can recognize that some people need to be in that inner circle, husbands and wives, in the name of Jesus, there should not be a secret that somebody else has that your spouse does not. 
That's just the way it is with God. He establishes that covenant first so that we can recognize that whenever we become man and wife, it's no longer me and my boys. It's no longer me and my girls. No, no, no. You can still have friends and all that other stuff, but they are subsequent to the relationship that you have, which is before God Almighty. So as we move into the things of God, we've got to recognize there were 12 disciples that followed Jesus around real closely and went almost everywhere with him. And he opened up the parables and spoke to them different than he spoke to the masses. But then the Bible says there was three one time whenever he went onto a mountain and there was a place called the Mount of Transfiguration where Moses and Elijah appeared miraculously and they had a conversation with him. And Peter, James and John were there and they're all freaking out because Jesus is glowing. It's just a miraculous time. And then there's one disciple, the Bible says, whom Jesus loved. So many times in our life, we have to make sure, and listen, I'm not telling anybody to not have friends. I'm just saying you better understand where those friends quantify and qualify. You don't go telling your dreams to the 500 that are meant for you to share with the three. You don't go telling your dreams to the 12 that eight of them, that nine of them couldn't handle, but three of them might can. You don't go telling your dreams to the three that you think might handle them. You tell it to the one who you know loves you. You tell it to the one who, you know, has your back at all times. Don't be, don't not be a dreamer because people don't respect or get behind your dreams. But make absolutely certain you're sharing your dreams with the right type of, per- with the right type of person. Give God a hand right there. His brothers despised him for his dreams. And I'm going to move quickly through this story. But his brothers despised him for his dreams. And the interesting thing about the whole scenario was is they took him. They took the brother who was most loved by his father and most favored by his father. And they decided that they were going to kill him. And then one of them had the best idea. They said, you know what? Let's not kill him. Let's sell him as a slave. And then we'll at least get some money out of the scenario. So they sold him. They put him in a pit to begin with. Lied to his father. Said that some wild animal had eaten him, sold him as a slave, and he goes down the road to Egypt with the slave traders. And the Bible says that a man named Potiphar, who worked for Pharaoh, bought him and put him in his his palace and was working for him. And the Bible said that he had favor even whenever he was a slave and Potiphar put him over all the affairs of the house. Said that he didn't even pay attention. Said if Joseph was was on top of it, he didn't worry about it at all. And he had so much favor. And a lot of times, listen to me, favor will, 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 will invite an attack on your life. People don't like favor. If you've ever experienced the favor of God, I've experienced it time and time again. And in Jesus' name, the favor of God will never stop in your life either. But along the way, we get to the place where you have to recognize everybody's not going to be tickled about the favor that you're walking in. You're going to get a promotion that you didn't deserve. You're going to get, uh, your child's going to get a promotion that they didn't deserve. And everybody's going to wonder, what do this, why that, I should have this, I should have that. And it's in that moment, in that time where you just say, it's the favor of God. I'm thankful for it, but I won't apologize for it. Too much blood has been shed for me to be able to walk freely in this new covenant. Jesus Christ laid down his life so that you and me can go boldly before the throne and make our requests known unto God. But along the way, when that favor comes on your life, everybody's not going to like it. Potiphar's wife came to Joseph and said, you know what, Joseph? You know, I really would like to have a relationship with you in a a wrong way, if you all know what I'm talking about. 
And Joseph said, whoa, no, no, no. He said, he said, Potiphar has put me in charge of everything. I'm not fixing to do that. There's no way. And she basically framed him and said that he was trying to do something inappropriate, which he was not. And he takes off running. Potiphar gets furious because his wife lies to him and he doesn't know she's lying. And she takes jo- he takes Joseph and throws him in the prison. And you think, oh my goodness, he's gone from the prison to a slave to being at least a slave that, that's got some authority in a house. And, and goes from a pit then to a, the palace where he's got some authority, but he's still a slave. And now he's in prison. Now he's in prison. And you think, if I'm Joseph, I'm starting to go, where are you, God? Are you kidding me? You showed me this wonderful dream where everybody's going to serve me and I'm going to be great in your kingdom and I've lived my life in a pit only to become a slave, only to be lied about, and now I'm in prison. Why in the world? Where are you anyway? The Bible says he just kept on serving. When he got in the prison, the Bible said that he had so much favor on him that the chief prison guard, the chief prison guard made Joseph a a ruler over the entire prison. He said he didn't even think about anything if Joseph was in charge of it. Because no matter where you find yourself, the favor of God can find you. You're not too far away from God where He can't touch you and bless you. So many times we look at our current scenario and we think our current scenario, because it feels like the end of the world, it feels like problematic scenarios, but we have to understand where you are in your darkest moment means God gets to shine the brightest. Joseph is in the prison. The prison rulers are, have made him uh, over everything. And Pharaoh, who's a little bit of a finicky guy, gets, a, gets all mad one day and he sends a baker and a butler to prison. And both of them have a dream. And and the dreams, for the sake of time, you can read it's in the end of Genesis. But for the sake of time, that one 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 dream indicated that that he was going to be that the baker that the baker was going to have his head cut off, and the other dream indicated that the butler was going to be restored to Pharaoh's uh, palace and and work for him again. And, And and Joseph was the only one who could reveal these dreams to these guys who were having the dreams. And the only thing he asked of them, he said, listen, he said, when you get out, because these dreams are going to come true. In three, day, in three days, you're going to be back serving Pharaoh. And in three days, unfortunately, Mr. Baker, your head's coming off your shoulders. Not good news, but true. So he moves on and he says, the only thing I'm asking you, Mr. Butler, is when you get before Pharaoh, tell him about me. Tell him about what I've done down here. And they get out, and sure enough, three days later, uh, the, the baker, he, he gets his head cut off, and he's gone. And the butler gets completely reinstated, and he's serving Pharaoh, and he's giving the Pharaoh everything he's supposed to give him. And, and the problem is, the Bible says, he forgets about Joseph. How much worse can it get? Pit, slave, prison, and now you've been forgotten about. But what about my giftings? I can read dreams. Apparently not well enough for everybody to remember you. What did Joseph do? He just kept serving God. In the future, uh, the Pharaoh has a dream, and it's a, it's a crazy dream about uh, uh, some famine that's coming, or some good years that's coming, and some famine that's coming, and it's going to be a super, it's going to have a supernatural impact on all of Egypt, and it's a great dream for the king, for the Pharaoh to understand, and all of a sudden, uh, immediately, the butler remembers, there's a guy who can interpret dreams. He said, go get him. 
He goes against Joseph and Pharaoh says, I had this dream and here's what it's about. I had two dreams and Joseph said, both dreams mean the same thing. There's going to be seven good years, seven bad years. What we're going to have to do is we're going to have to store some stuff up for the first seven good years and we're going to have to uh, get ready for the seven bad years. But in those seven bad years, uh, Egypt's going to become a great nation because everybody's going to have to come buy the corn that we're storing up and it's going to be a crazy, amazing outcome. Even though it's going to be good, then it's going to be bad. And Pharaoh says, whoa, I've never heard of anybody that can understand dreams like you, Joseph. You are now second in command over all of Egypt. The only person you answer to is me. If you say it, it's like I said it. God can find you anywhere you are. And he can supernaturally appoint you to any area that you're ready for. How do you get ready? Let's look at Joseph. He served, he served, he served, and he served. And in the process, he waited on the Lord. Did you know God's timing is not always your timing? I kind of wish it was sometimes. Because sometimes I pray and I'm like, oh, I wish this would happen. And I'm ready for it right now, yesterday. Because we come from the McDonald's uh, Burger King mentality now where we put in our order at the thing. We give our money at the first window and we want that cheeseburger at the second window hot and ready. And there better not be an onion on it. It's different in the kingdom of God than the kingdom of McDonald's. Come on, somebody. The kingdom of God is probably closer to Chick-fil-A. You know what I'm saying? My pleasure. My pleasure. Would you like some Chick-fil-A sauce? Yes, I would. (laughs) Chick-fil-A. How did we get to Chick-fil-A, (laughs) y'all? What was I even talking about? The kingdom of God is different. The kingdom of God includes seed, time, and harvest. And it will exist as long as the earth exists. When you and I get to heaven, every tear will be wiped away. There'll be no more sickness. There'll be no more infirmity. The light of that great city will be Christ Jesus. We will not have need to go to the Father for our needs because everything, just like it was planned in the beginning, will be met without any problem, qualm, or circumstance. But the problem is, we don't live in that dispensation. We live in this dispensation. And seed time and harvest exist. And every time you pray, it is a seed that goes before God and there may be some time before that harvest manifests, but your problem is you got to get to the place where you believe God so strongly at His Word that you're willing to work your land until that thing manifests. The Bible says, don't grow weary in well-doing, for in due season you'll reap. A lot of times people just stop right there, but the Bible says, if you faint not... Did you know that if you plant a, a, a garden, you've got to go out there and still work the garden even after you put the seeds in the ground? You've got to make sure that the, that the birds don't come and destroy the, 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 the plants when they're, too sm- when they're too small. You've got to make sure the weeds don't come and choke them out. You've got to work the land and you've got to not grow weary while you're doing it because in due season, which every seed has a due season, in due season you'll reap if you don't sit on the couch and eat potatoes chips the whole time expecting the garden to do its own thing. So many times we go before God and we say, oh God, I need you so much. I need you so much. And then just a little bit of an answer comes and you forget about God until the next problem shows up. And then you start talking to him like he's the butler that forgot about you. 
He's not your butler. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. It's a privilege to go to God. It's an opportunity to be able to go to God. But it's not a, a, a situation where the entitlement mentality begins to take over and we start looking at it and say, oh, well, thank God this, thank God that. No, he can sense that really simply. What he's looking for is people that won't grow weary while you're well-doing Joseph. What if I put you in the pit? I won't grow weary. What if I make you serve somebody and then his wife lies about you and you get thrown in prison? I won't grow weary, Lord. What if I manifest your gifts in supernatural manifestation and the people that you set free forget about your good deeds? I won't grow weary, Lord. God says in due season, Joseph, he puts him in the palace. Second in command over all of Egypt. Not because... He was the best of the best in every area. But because he refused to grow weary in well-doing. And he waited on the Lord. Isaiah chapter number 40, if you have your Bible. Isaiah chapter number 40. One of the most quoted scriptures in the whole Bible. See it on t-shirts and plaques all the time. Isaiah 40 and 31. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. If you cannot sense God moving in your life, wait on the Lord. If you cannot sense God's power manifesting in your life, wait Upon the Lord. You see, so many times our life, we've done things that we're not proud of or we're in a set of circumstances that are not favorable. And we look at it and we say, how can God use this? How can God use that? Well, I would look at a cake recipe and say, how can you use baking soda in that? Have you ever tried baking soda? It's terrible. But every cake needs baking soda in order to get it to rise to the level that it's supposed to rise. And I've done this more than once. I've gotten to the place where I'm making some cake or some brownies or something like that. And then we don't have any baking soda. And guess what? It's going to be a flop. All things work together for good for them that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. It doesn't mean that everything you go through is because God has established you to say, I want them to be in the pit for a while. No, no, no. We live in a cursed world where bad things happen to good people every day. How many of you know sinners win the lottery? Saved people win the lottery too. And if you do, come to this church, praise God. We need a building. But what I'm saying is, is good things happen to bad people, just like bad things happen to good people all day long and all the time. God's not up there sitting there with a chessboard saying, I would like something bad to happen to Matthew today. I would like something good to happen to Tiffany today. I would like something bad to happen to Chella today and something good to happen to Jesse today. That's not how he operates. What he is, is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And when you find yourself on a mountaintop, he's there. And when you find yourself in a lion's den, he's there to close their mouths. But you've got to get the revelation that what you go through, he can use for your good. 
It doesn't mean that he put it on you. It just means that now Joseph knows beyond a shadow of any doubt that the God of heaven and earth, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who established the stars in the sky and makes the, makes the earth his footstool, the God who's above all and the great I am and never ceasing, never failing, not slacking power in any way, is with him in a pit. It's with him in a prison. It's with him in a palace. And everything begins to come together for him. Because he's serving God and waiting on the Lord. And in the right season, in the right time, supernaturally, God will cause you to mount up with wings like eagles. Back to Joseph for just a minute. Joseph's going through life and he gets to the place where he controls everything. He controls who's allowed to buy corn, who's not allowed to buy corn. Nobody in the seven-year famine is able to buy anything. It's a terrible situation. Nobody's able to grow anything because there's an amazing drought. And all of a sudden, the brothers who sold him as a slave and told his daddy he was dead show up in need. The Bible says that Joseph has to go find a place to cry because he's so overwhelmed with emotion when he sees his brothers. He's not thinking about the pit, the prison, the prison, the palace are being lied about. He's thinking about how his brothers are standing in front of him and his heart's bursting out of his chest because he loves them so much. But he's changed so much, the Bible says, they don't even recognize him. Did you know whenever you have been called into the kingdom of God, you're not supposed to talk the same way, walk the same way, act the same way. And if your old friends show up, the only thing they ought to be able to recognize is your pretty smile. There's nothing about the kingdom of God where he ever says, get saved and stay the same. He's called you from glory to glory so that his kingdom can manifest here. You're the salt of the earth. That means when you have a flat tire, you're not the guy on the side of the road cursing God. You're the guy on the side of the road going, I don't know how God's going to help me through this because I'm going to be late for work. But bless God. Then one of your friends drives up and says, can I help you? I said, man, it's a beautiful day. What are you talking about? Beautiful day. I got a flat. You got a flat tire. I said, yeah, but I got three that still have air. There's something about living for God and looking through the lenses of the Bible that will change your entire paradigm. And the old folks that you used to run with, you know, your boys that you used to be able to, you know, call and they pick up and you were the one that you used to have a great time with and everything like that. If they showed up 10 years later and saw you and they recognize you, shame on you. I'm not talking about your looks now. You understand what I'm saying? I'm talking about if you still act the same way, are you being transformed back into his likeness and his image? Or are you in the rut of mediocrity? Because the only way you get out of the rut of mediocrity is by choice. But mediocrity is hunting you down like a rabid dog. Trying to say, just get by, just this. Your kids will never be that. You're not from the right family. You're not from the right side of town. You're not anything like that. And you ought to step out of that rut and say, I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus. Old things have passed away and all things have become new. It's a different thing when you live for God. It's a different thing when you decide that God is your rock and your salvation in whom shall I fear. It is a different thing when you press towards the mark. And if everybody you used to know sees the same old self when they walk up, then you got a problem. Joseph's standing there overwhelmed with emotion. Can't even tell his brothers. And in a, in a weird way, he gives them the corn for free. He sends them. They come to pay for it. He said, he said, bring me my other brother. He had a younger brother. He said, bring me. He didn't say my other brother. He said, do you have a younger brother? Bring them. So he gets his whole family to Egypt. 
all except for his dad. And then he reveals himself. And in that moment, they're terrified. They said, now the prime minister of Egypt, who at the sound of his voice can have anybody executed in a moment's time, is our brother who we sold as a slave. And he says, don't fear me. you got to understand, if I hadn't been through the pit and I hadn't been to prison and I hadn't been lied about and I hadn't been uh, uh, framed and I hadn't been put in compromising positions over and over and over again, I wouldn't be standing here and you would have no way to bring food back to the family. All things in my life, brothers, have worked together for good. I'm not glad I went through the pit. But they all came together to make this incredible supernatural opportunity where now the brothers who killed me, who are feigning for life because of a lack of food, I'm able to freely feed Because God used everything in my life to come together for this moment. You are not a chicken. God said that if you'll wait on the Lord. Listen, I know your life's not perfect. My life's not perfect. All I'm saying is if you will wait on the Lord, He will renew your strength. You will mount up with wings like eagles. Let me talk about just a few of the differences between eagles and chickens, and then we're going to get out of here. An interesting thing about eagles is they almost always find themselves alone. You never see a chicken by itself that the chicken is not a little bit messed up. You never see a chicken by itself that the chicken is not wishing it was with other mediocre birds so that it could scratch around and look down and do all those other things. You never see a chicken by itself, but you almost always see an eagle flying by itself. You have to get comfortable with the fact that everybody is not going with you. That doesn't mean that we withhold the gospel from anybody or any of that nonsense. But people have to make decisions. And just because they don't choose to serve God doesn't have any bearing on whether or not you're going to serve God. Our life ought to be a shining example to the world about who Jesus is. And when you're an eagle, number two... You have a completely different perspective than a bunch of chickens. A bunch of chickens look around and the only thing they see is crickets and worms and grass. And the grass is just in the way. But eagles, they see from the top down. They don't just see the yard. They don't just see the pasture. They just don't see the the coop. They see all kind of different things. From the end to the beginning. When times get tough in your life, can we just get good at reminding those tough times, you, tough time, will work together for my good before this thing's over. I don't understand it, but I know God has not left me. I know God will not leave me. I know He won't forsake me in a difficult season. 
So whether or not it gets hard has no bearing on whether or not I'm going to press towards the mark for the prize. It just has a bearing on how hard it is to press right now. Another thing about eagles is they choose their habitation. Mediocrity is constantly trying to devour you, to put you into the rut. A chicken, you take a chicken and you put it in a chicken coop and you don't open that door for six weeks, that chicken lives in that chicken coop and he'll never choose another home. When it gets dark, he runs to that chicken coop. He doesn't care. You should see him. Our chickens are crazy. Trinity, my little girl, she's two. And I let her chase the chickens because she can't catch them. But my oldest ones, they want to chase the chickens. But when you chase a chicken too much, they quit laying eggs, which means they quit paying rent, which means we got to get some new chickens. So I let the little one chase the chickens. The big ones can't chase the chickens. But a chicken doesn't choose its habitation. But an eagle flies around, just like some of you right now, looks for just the right tree. One that has a great vantage point. One that can see the sunrise. One that can see the sunset. Maybe one that can see a lake where that eagle would like to fish. And then he starts bringing stuff. He and she, they start bringing stuff and they put it in there. But they choose the place of their habitation. A chicken is just in the rut of mediocrity, will never get out. But an eagle is born saying, this is where you live. But there's a place in time where it steps out of the nest and it says, I'll go find my place. It matters where you go to church, y'all. Everybody doesn't teach the Bible. You get to choose the place of your habitation if you're an eagle. Last point. The winds, when they begin to blow, I can't believe I'm talking about my chickens all morning. My chickens run for cover. When the storms start going like this and the trees start moving, I mean, they're gone. And a chicken's funny because when you see something running, you know, you think running, but they don't have arms, so they're just... I love chickens, man. They're hilarious. You can set a chair on the porch and just watch the chickens. I will get my kids. This is true. I'll get my kids. Walker Lee, go chase the chickens back into the backyard because I just want to watch them. If they go around the side of the house, I want them so I can watch them. But the winds, when they blow, they send those chickens running for cover. Same wind, same storm to an eagle does nothing but raise it higher. Does nothing but elevate it to new heights. You see, it's different when you live for God. And if you're going through that Joseph season, whether it's the pit, the prison, the palace, or the lies, any of those scenarios, wait on the Lord. He's not slow. He hasn't forgotten about you. In due season, you're going to reap. In due season, He's going to cause you to mount up with wings like eagles in all the problems of your life you'll be able to look back and say, wow, I didn't know. I didn't know he could use that family problem, but he obviously did. I didn't know he could use the fact that I lost my job, which I know he doesn't want me to not have resources. I didn't know that he could use the fact that I lost my job for good something. But supernaturally, he has. Last point I want to make. Stand to your feet if you would, please.
one thing. Your past does not define you. I sense real strong there's a lot of people that are dealing with regret over certain areas. Your past does not define you. But listen to me. Your past can certainly shape you. Don't look back and begrudge the difficult things that you've gone through and say, where were you, God? Because the problem is, when you do look back hard enough, you'll find He was always there and never left you. When you're going through the valley of the shadow of death, if you're a Christian, you will get to the other side. You will. No maybe, no kinda. You will get to the other side. The difference is, when you get to the other side, there will be two options. You will be able to look back and say, Praise God, we made it again, Jesus. Let's keep moving. Because I didn't doubt you in the valley. Or, you'll get to the other side. Look back. See how He never left you and never forsook you. And say, Oh God, I'm sorry I doubted you again when I was in the pit. When you live for God, you have to fight doubt like you fight a sickness. You have to fight doubt like you fight an intruder that would try to come in your home. Faith is believing when we can't see. It's a lot easier when you can. But if it was easy, everybody would do it. Bow your head. Thank you for listening. For more information on Pastor Brian and New Heights Church, please visit www.newheightschurch.info.